Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, welcome back to the Speaking in Church podcast, or welcome for the first time. Once again, I don't know your life. I'm Josie. And I'm Spencer. And today we are joined by the incomparable Father Anne, who this week, this very week in three days, will be uh, ordained as a Roman Catholic priest by the Association of Roman Catholic Women Priests. Um, it's not your usual ordination. Don't think about it too hard. Just listen to the podcast and we'll explain all about it. Or Father Anne will explain all about it. Welcome to the pod, Father Anne. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I want to start by wishing you both a happy one year anniversary. <gasps> Thank a little you. belated. Congratulations. Thanks. You know, podcasts don't always make the year mark. I will say that. And here we are. <laughs> Yes, speaking of accomplishment, you know, and I want to say I really appreciate you creating the space for people to come and gnaw on all of our experiences in these mm. challenging times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's important. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> I'm really excited because, um, you know, you when you shared about your ordination on your Instagram, we shared it to our Instagram story. Um, and we got some messages from people that are like, they were literally like, wait a minute, she's going to become a priest? Like, how does that work? And I'm like, she's going to tell us how it works. Just <laughs> tune in. Yeah. <laughs> It is a really interesting process, um, especially to those of us who did not grow up in the Catholic Church. At the very least, we know, you know, boys are priests, allegedly, right? That's right. So, I mean, you're going to give us a huge lesson today on fucking up systems. Yes, indeed. (laughs) I can't wait. Especially excited because um, for y'all that have listened to the podcast before, you know that I'm like Catholic adjacent. My dad grew up Roman Catholic, altar boy, the whole shebang. Um, went to mass as a child with my grandma a few times and had some experiences in the Catholic church and still have family that are practicing. So this is just like super exciting to me. Awesome, Spencer. That's great. Yeah. I do also have to tell you before I give my testimony (laughs) that I heard about your podcast, you interviewed my friend, Jessica Gerhardt. Yes, I know. She's such a fantastic person. But when I saw the graphic on your cover for the podcast, I, I, I mean, it's just brilliant. And I will tell you that one of the things that people quote at me, because I have a lot of people who troll me is that women are to be silent in church. I hear that a lot. So the second I saw that photo, 
you guys won my heart. Uh, I Thanks. yeah, it was a happy little coincidence. The picture of Spencer is actually a <laughs> deep dive, everybody behind the scenes. Those are from the picture is from her senior portraits that I took of her in college. Yeah, we're like in the theology library. Yeah, so we thought it was funny. You're not supposed to talk there. And then yeah, when we were making our graphic, literally she was like, "Do you remember that picture?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yes, perfect." And I just so happened to have taken a picture. Where I was like. Actually, yes. <laughs> with a little finger. <laughs> it's really Perfect. funny. Yeah, love it. All right, well, let's get to it. The testimony, the life story. Tell us. Yeah, so it's a weird one. I won't lie. So uh, I was baptized Catholic. Um, both my parents came from immigrant families, Irish and Italian, to Catholic countries. My dad is actually an immigrant, came from Italy. Um, but they left the church when I was really little. So I was baptized. And then after that, I was pushed through the sacraments as Catholic families are known to do. So, mm -hmm. you know, I did receive my first communion and then there was all this space between first communion and confirmation. And I remember standing up there at confirmation. I mean, I'm sure I had some sort of preparation, but I just remember thinking to myself, what am I doing here? You know, <laughs> 16 years old, my father wanted me to do it. So I did it. It's amazing how, how much of a grip in a good way, the sacraments have on people, you know? So he, I, so I did it as a dutiful daughter. And then I had nothing, you know, really after that went to college, did not consider myself a believer really in any way. Not that I was necessarily a non-believer, but it wasn't, you know, I didn't think about God, wasn't in friendships or relationships with people who talked about God. So it was really foreign fast forward. 29 years old, uh, I started to experience something and this is very difficult to describe, but it was as if something was calling me or trying to get my attention. And I felt it like physically, like physical sensations, a lot around my ears. And it was this haunting, uh, experience, like somebody haunting me. And I knew I had a sense that it was, you know, God in retrospect, I wouldn't have described it that way, but something divine or, and, you know, I didn't have anybody in my life to talk to about it. So I kind of thought that I was kind of going a little bit bananas. Um, but I started to try to connect with that being experience. And, you know, I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know anything about it. Um, so I started to go, I was managing a band at the time, an independent touring band. Okay. So you can imagine what that life was like. <laughs> and so then this is happening, right? So I didn't share it with them, but I started to, I went to a non-denominational ch church a couple times. I did go to a Catholic church. I, you know, sought out some Buddhists and sat with them. And I did a whole bunch of reading like new age stuff, like Eckhart Tolle. And I felt it, you know, like I knew it was sort of in the right direction, but nothing was helping me connect with that experience that I was having. And so, uh, I gave up after about a year of seeking. I just finally, I remember 
I cannot connect to you. So if you want to connect to me, you're going to have to get me. After that, uh, some time went by and I, a girlfriend of mine, I went to graduate school with, she, she just sent me an email. She told me that she had entered RCIA, which is right of Christian initiation for adults. And that is the way that you enter the Catholic church. So, you know, we have a lot of, we have a lot of systems in place and <laughs> that's how you get in. I knew when I read it, that that was the answer. I immediately went down to my local church and I got into RCIA. So that was where I started to learn about, I can honestly say for the very first time at, you know, 30 years old, who God is. So at the same time, I'm managing my band. We decide to move the, to Portland. And uh, so after a few months in RCIA, we relocate to Portland, have a band house. We decide to stay there permanently. And once we got a house together um, in Portland, the city, uh, I just, we just happened to move close to the Jesuit parish there. So the Jesuits are an order of Roman Catholic priests. Um, they have a particular spirituality. So when I went into this parish, so in RCIA, I learned about who God is and who Jesus is as the Catholic church sees it. And then when I got to this church, that is when it really exploded because that was when, for the first time, I learned to pray. And I finally connected with the Creator. So that was a profound experience that really changed my life. And for that, I am indebted to the Catholic Church. I mean, I didn't have that relationship with God. And for the first time, I was part of a community of people who worshipped and were kind of, you know, pilgrim people on the way with God. So they taught me about how to be a mature Catholic. You know, a lot of the issues we have in the church are that the church doesn't catechize Catholics to be adults, to really be, you know, critical thinking. Why does the church teach a certain thing um, instead of just telling you what to think, you know? Um, so this was a mature community. It really brought me alive. I learned how to pray. The Jesuit way of understanding God, I did the spiritual exercises in everyday life um, and learned how to discern, how to, you know, God is living and is always trying to communicate with us how to read how God is communicating. So that just changed my life, you know, irrevocably. That was sort of like the mountaintop experience. You know, the five years there, I was in the womb being cared for. I feel God tricked me, you know, like God really seduced me there and I was cared for and nurtured. So when there, I started to heal, hear the call to become a priest. And I knew that there was something wrong with the teaching on women. But I put it aside because I had a feeling that if I were to engage with it, it was going to interrupt what was going on in my relationship with God. So I kind of put it aside. And then when I started to hear the call to become a Jesuit, I started to try to live that call out in the way that I could, you know? So minute I said, Oh, maybe why would God be asking me to do something that I can't do? You know, so naive. Um, so then I started to think about, okay, maybe I'll minister to priests. 
And I started doing that. Maybe I need to, uh, you know, be involved in the liturgical ministry as I did every kind of ministry you can imagine. So I just kept trying to figure out what I was being called to. Um, and all of that was very enriching and really important for my formation, especially now that I'm, I am going to be a priest. But ultimately, I kept hitting a roadblock because I couldn't do what God was asking me to do to serve. But ultimately, I decided and discerned to go to Jesuit School of Theology and get my Master of Divinity. So I did. And it's a small seminary that's all Jesuits for the most part with some lay people, but it's, it's a really unique situation. It's not like going to a big university or college that has a theology department where people are educated, you know, like Notre Dame where you're educated mm -hmm. in the seminary, but it's part of a big, this was, you know, it's like 140 students and 90 of them are Jesuits. So there, you know, this is where it's like, okay, the mountaintop. Well, now I'm just like going down into the Valley. I'm with, and, and the Jesuits, you know, I mean, they are incredibly generous. You know, I, I really don't have a bad word to say about them. And this is the structure of the church, but I'm in literally the same classes with the men who are going to be ordained. They're being taught by female scripture scholars and ethics scholars of the, you know, world renowned. Okay. So I'm getting to the point where it's like, wait a minute, these guys are going to, these guys are going to go on to get ordained and I'm not going to be able to. So what, what was like, a theoretical situation became really concrete and really tough. I mean, I just, it was like the worst three years of my life. I have to be honest. It was, it was awful. It was awful. So, but I made, I managed to get through it, learned a lot, loved my classes. After that, I even went on to run a parish. <laughs> so in the Catholic church, um, the pastor job is reserved to the priest, but because there is a quote unquote vocation shortage, they have to come up with all of these different structures to deal with the lack of male priests. So one of the ways that they do it is they put a lay person. So not a priest in charge of the administrating. So supervising the staff, running the facilities, you know, whatever, just mm -hmm. running the place so that the priest can be the shepherd. So I was in that job, which is a great job for somebody who was not a woman called to priesthood. <laughs> so that was like the nail in the coffin and the community itself was great. So where the St. Ignatius in Portland really taught me about how to be a mature Catholic, this place, St. Leo in Tacoma, Washington was on fire. You know, people have these terrible experiences of church and I've been blessed because I wasn't really a cradle Catholic. So I didn't have those experiences. And I had two stellar experiences of parishes and this one in Tacoma, they were, they were egalitarian. The pastors really lifted up the people, the people, you know, the, the approach was more God is working in the people. And so the, the role of the pastor is to facilitate what is going on and support that work. So it wasn't so hierarchical, you know, and it wasn't so clerical. So it really taught me a lot. So, but I couldn't hang you guys. I mean, I just could not hang anymore.
So I left after a pretty short time and I moved to New Mexico because I had come through here um, with my band and fell in love with the land. It's just a magical place. And I needed some healing. I was really, really beaten down by the experience of, of being told over and over again by the institutional church that I am not a full human being that God cannot work through me in the same way that God works through the body of a man. So, um, yeah, so I had to find myself <laughs> like, what am I, I mean, mm -hmm. I spent all this money to get this degree, you know, like now I left pastoral ministry officially, what am I going to do? So it took me some time. And ultimately I wasn't ready. This movement, Roman Catholic women priests, it started in 2002. And I can tell you more about that. And I had been aware of its existence, but I pushed it away because I didn't agree with the illegality of it. It's so funny now, <laughs> um, right? So I didn't agree with it. I didn't think it was the right way to go about it. Yes, the church is wrong, but that's not the way. So I finally let, you know, I was able to let go of the society of Jesus, which is a real grief for me. And I think that will be for the rest of my life, actually. Um, I was open then, you know, this is how the spirit works. You got to let go of your attachments. Then I was open to considering this kind of radical um, movement. And after some time, I, there's a whole story about that, uh, how I came with the show Fleabag, which I can tell you about later if you want to hear about it. Oh my but God, I, the show, <laughs> I loved it. I know, it's so good. <laughs> so then I, I did, I reached out and um, connected with the Association of Roman Catholic Women Priests and got on the pathway to become ordained as a female Roman Catholic priest. That's kind of it in a nutshell. Mm. I'm glad you brought up Fleabag. Oh my gosh, what a piece of art, that little show. I, oh. You know, I want to meet Phoebe Waller-Bridge and tell her how much she changed my life. The hot priest. The hot priest, which I didn't yeah. think was that hot. I'm going to be honest at first. For you, he grew on did, me. Did he grow on you? Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Have you seen it, Spencer? I have not. Highly oh, recommend. Spencer, yeah. <laughs> it's... You have to see mm -hmm. it. I love it. Well, I am one fascinated personally, and two, I'm actually coming off of a really bad experience with a Catholic. I think he was a deacon. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, this happened to me last night. It was like preparation for this oh, podcast. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So yesterday was a year anniversary of my cousin who was murdered oh. and we gathered at my aunt's house and nobody told me that the 6 PM time was because that was when a deacon was going to come perform some mini mass or whatever which is fine all well and good i'm not catholic but i'm methodist which is like catholic uber light so not a big deal <laughs> but this asshole came up and he so we're sitting in the driveway and there's tables set up under easy ups because we're eating and you know it's like a little party type situation mexicans are really weird with their morning and this guy's like move the tables i don't want anybody sitting at the tables come sit in front of me mass style essentially and he like tells the family where to sit and it was super weird he was really rude and then he proceeds to be upset when we didn't know the words to the songs that he was playing that sounded Aww. like they were 
50 years old in Spanish. We didn't know the songs. And then he's told my family that they shouldn't have his ashes. Like, why do they still have his ashes? It's not appropriate. And it was pretty gnarly. And he ended the whole situation by saying, I, you guys need to be more Catholic. <laughs> Oh no! Mind Aww. you, everybody, all those children have gone to catechism, have done their first communion. They just don't know the words to your old songs off of a CD. Like, okay. Anyways, that was my negative experience with the church. Um, other than that, mostly positive <laughs> <laughs> or well, neutral, I guess I should say. <laughs> I mean, when I when I hear you describing that. So what I'm hearing is the minister coming in with all of the answers, mm. mm-hmm. right? So that is, and that used to be the way for a long, 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 long time. The only way that I think priests and deacons were trained and, you know, in more modern times, it's so much more about you're trying to enter into the context of a family and help that family encounter God. Mm -hmm. And what it sounds like he did was he obstructed the encounter with God. Yes. I proceeded to have to explain to my nieces and nephews who were old enough to understand what was happening. They were like, this is why I don't like religion. This is why I can't be religious. And I was like, well, you know, shit, like not everybody's like that. Like, how do you tell a kid? Like not everybody's like that. He was wrong because I mean, also I feel like in Protestant Christianity, it's easier to say like the guy's wrong because you know, what does he know? But in like, if somebody went through the priesthood, it feels a little bit more intense. It's a little bit more like you can't really say that the guy's wrong or whatever. Because of the way that the church constructs authority. Mm hmm. Right. So, um, and I think in terms of children, the only way to do it is to expose them to something else mm-hmm. because that, I mean, if, because part of the problem is if they have that repeated experience over and over of uh, essentially what you're describing is to me, it sounds like sort of a clericalism where, you know, I know, and he, and the person is lecturing you on how you're failing at embodying the faith. Mm-hmm. Basically, you know, you don't know the songs, you're not sitting in the right place. Um, you, you're not Catholic enough. I mean, those are all the things you just said. So, like a, a child that has that repeated experience, you know, it's, it's, it's got to hopefully expose them to something else, which maybe sometimes is not actually easy to do. Yeah. Especially considering they have my parents as an example. And my parents come from the breed that say that Catholics are devil worshipers <laughs> because of the saint situation. Right. <laughs> Did you ever hear that growing up, Spencer? Is that just uh, like a... Not not devil <laughs> worship. Like, it was never that extreme. But um, again, like I said, I have family members that are still Catholic and pray to the saints. And, you know, when I was a kid, because I didn't grow up in the church, when I'd go to mass with my... After my grandpa died, we kind of like would go with her so she wouldn't have to go to, go alone. Um, and so, you know, we would go and during mass, they, at least from what I remember, they don't pray to the saints, but half of it was in Latin. So maybe they were, and I just didn't know it. Latin. Um, yeah, it was a very traditional Catholic church. Um, again, my dad had grown up in that church. Um, my family's Italian. So very like, Oh yeah. Mm. You know, Catholicism and being Italian is like a 
a cultural thing as much mm-hmm. as it is a religious thing. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, my, my grandpa was part of the, you know, like the Knights of Columbus. He was like a, a cardinal. Is that a Catholic thing? Yes. It is. And, oh, wow. Uh, I think, yeah, lay people can be like cardinals, right? That's like one of the high things we can I be. mean, you not can, cardinals, but they're, uh, they're not really. Like, uh. Technically, uh, it's true. Maybe, maybe like a deacon or something, you know, he held deacon, some yeah. sort of leadership within that, within that, um, that church. And so, um, yeah, like when he, when he died, you know, it was a big deal for the community and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then my grandma got remarried, which they don't really like. So, um, she became oh, a Protestant. True. Yeah. She became a Protestant and, uh, <laughs> most of my family became Protestants yeah. after that as well. Um, but yeah, when talking about, um, you know, something that my mom and I would talk about, cause I, growing up in Yuma, there's lots of Catholics because just like Italians being, um, Hispanic and Catholic is a cultural as much as it is religious. And so we'd yeah. have conversations about, you know, like, well, they pray to priests and like when they go through like confirmation, you know, like they pick a priest that they, they want to like embody and things like that. And yeah, my mom was like, yeah, like we don't need that. Like, you know, we just pray to Jesus. And like, I see both sides of it, especially when somebody explained to me, um, I think it, I think it was Jessica. She said like, she was like, I don't pray to them. I asked them to pray for me because like they're with Jesus. So like, yeah, you know, why wouldn't they talk to him for me? And I'm like, oh, I never thought of it like that. Okay, cool. I'm more of a, so my grandma converted actually after she had her eight kids um, <laughs> to Christianity and they are very much anything foreign is devil worship. But outside of that, I just, it was always weird growing up because you hear these things and it's just the same thing in Mexican culture. Mexico has very strong Catholic ties. Absolutely. And it, it was really weird growing up hearing, you know, your families, they're all devil worshipers because they're Catholic. And me being a critically thinking young one, I'm just like, mm, sounds like they're just a little different. But all that to say, we talked about authority recently in a few seconds ago and i was wondering this idea of authority is very ingrained with this male ship or whatever what is besides the like normal things is there does the catholic church have like a specific like reason why only men can be priests so many reasons oh my gosh i'm ready but yeah there's there are many reasons but the and, and the reasons sort of have changed. So this is, you know, centuries of thinking and it sort of changes at different times. So let's start with right now. The very basis of it all rests on Jesus himself is male and Jesus chose 12 men to be his apostles. So it's mm-hmm. a very strict, strict scriptural reading and then those 12 chose men to succeed them so in the catholic church uh, it's so important apostolic succession so Mm. you know the tie to jesus is the the source of authority so that's why you know the thinking is that all of the priests and bishops and popes are in apostolic succession and they can trace themselves back directly to Jesus. So it's a very strict sort of understanding of how, um, how that works, how God calls us. Um, 
Not from so, a bloodline perspective, right? Just like a, I told a you, I told you, I told hands. you. Gotcha. Yes, exactly. You got yeah. it. So that's like that's the foundation of it all right now. And Spencer looks like she really wants to comment. Spencer's pissed. <laughs> uh, so you know, just because you know, this is something that this is something that Protestants talk about too. Um, so I have two questions. I have two questions. Number one, um, what do Catholics think of Junia? And number two, what do Catholics think of all the women that financially supported these men? And the women that were first called to preach the gospel to everybody. And like the cultural like background of Mm -hmm. like, like the reality is like there was tons of women with Jesus, but like culturally, like Jesus knew that to protect them. He wasn't going to be like, listen to this woman. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, I know. So you're asking really good questions and there's a couple ways to answer. First, what you're getting at is, so there's the institutional church and the way that the institutional church goes about structuring this narrative mm-hmm. that women were never ordained. That's another piece of the argument. So the church argues now that women were never ordained and they're doing it like or even the definition or understanding of ordination has changed a lot since Jesus walked the earth. Jesus never ordained anyone. Jesus himself was not Jesus was Jewish. He was not a Jewish priest and he did not ordain anybody. So what you're talking about is, you know, scriptural and there is archaeological evidence that shows women's involvement in leadership in the early church, especially the first 300, 400 years before it was colonized by the Roman empire. So all of that, like what you're getting at Spencer is all of that is made hidden by the institutional church. It's real, but all of that historical in even the scriptural it's, it's either explained away or the history, the historical part is just made hidden so that the average Catholic, um, knows that, you know, the teaching, I would say, I I have to be specific though, the average Catholic in the West, I can't really speak Mm -hmm. about, you know, Africa and Asia, Yeah, but, but there's an understanding that, the teaching is off, you know, there's something wrong with it, but they might not know the historical evidence, you know, but, but they know that something's off with it for sure. It's not moral. Um, so, but when the church is controlling the narrative, it's, and the, and there's never been a woman included in the hierarchy of the Catholic church to, Mm -hmm. so you have men, who have been writing for men mm-hmm. without yeah. including any women I, at all. I like that you bring this up because obviously being part of like, um, you know, like Protestant denominations, like people are like people within the, in very like United Methodist, for example, which Josie and I are like, we ordain women and like, we do that for a reason because we've, we've pulled out the historical and the scripture that for so long people have tried to keep hidden. Um, so it's funny to me because a lot of Protestants, especially in like complementarian Protestants are obsessed with not being Catholic yet. They hang on to so many things that Catholics set into place that I'm like, if you are so obsessed that you don't want to be Catholics, maybe you should do some more research because exactly what you said, the Catholic church has structured things for a reason and kept people out for a reason. So like we should dig into that. 
didn't we? Well, and it's like, you're only not Catholic because the King of England didn't want to be Catholic. He wanted to divorce his wife. Like, historically, probably realistically, that's probably why you're not Catholic at this point in time. But it's the same flavor of colonizers sorry i'm a history person i love history because you're because you're talking about like when the british came the pilgrims yeah yeah it's the same flavor of colonization you know i never even thought about that because a lot of times you know when i think of like separating protestants and catholics i always think about luther but that's a really good point that like yeah the pilgrims yeah like if if countries like england hadn't separated from catholicism i think a, a bigger part of the united states would be catholic i think you're right Mm-hmm. History. Learn Wild. it, friends. <laughs> but we're talking about women in leadership and in general, but also when it comes to the Catholic Church, they don't play games. So as a result, what happens after the ordination? Is there any repercussions? Are you in trouble? Do I need to go kick the Pope's ass? What is happening? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, they don't play any games and they are very serious about. So to put it in perspective, you all may not be aware of this, but the church can. So the church has the Roman Catholic church has a body of law. It's called canon law. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that's what governs the church in a legal manner. This, what I'm doing is considered a a grave crime. It's in the same category, okay, as priest child abuse, like a priest raping a child. However, yeah, it's really serious, okay? So, and the punishment is automatic excommunication, which I can tell you what that means, but the priests who committed those crimes against children and the bishops who hit it do not get excommunicated. Yeah. They just get transferred. So just, I know Spencer is having a, just her head is exploding. (laughs) So that's, I, I say that only because that is how serious it is to push back on the hierarchical church on this issue of women being included at every level of the church that's how much they want to protect um the the literal patriarchy so yeah the precautions are i'm automatically excommunicated and i'm actually already acting as if i have been excommunicated because i am publicly you know i was in the new yorker i'm on social media you know i'm publicly making my position so um, and i don't want to put priests i still go to mass i don't want to put priests in that position where you know, they have to decide whether or not to give me communion. I don't want to do that to them out of respect. So I, excommunication means I don't get to receive any sacraments. So I cannot receive communion. I mean, I can still go to church, but I can't receive communion. I cannot receive a Christian burial, which that actually is really sad to me. Wow. Yeah, I can't receive a Christian burial. I can no longer work for any Catholic organization. Um, and it's not just the official punishments that are hard. Those are, it's hard. I mean, it's very hard, you guys, uh, because I love the church. I mean, with all of its problems, mm-hmm. I appreciate the ritual and I appreciate the social justice teachings and I appreciate I mean, it brought me to my relationship with God and I'm forever indebted and I want 
to be in, I would, if I could, I would be a inside the institutional church. So all that's really painful for me. Um, but it's also like my personal relationships. I mean, people in my former parishes, some are supportive, some distance themselves from me, mm-hmm. you know, it changes my relationships. Um, and, you know, like just before I got on this call, I, re- you know, people try to convince me and I was just told, you know, how I'm, uh, how I'm participating in a sin and how my ordination is fake and how this, you know, that people need to pray for my soul. And so to see the deep internalized sexism, that is the sin of the church. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, they, it's all the evidence of what this is doing and to see young women quoting, you need to be silent in church. You know, the first, it's so having to kind of bear it all and to, to, you know, people tell me I'm a heretic. People have called me the devil. People have told me I'm going to hell. So there's a lot of harassment that takes place online, as you might imagine, where people can be yeah. faceless and anonymous and mm. don't have to treat you like a human being. Um, so there is, there's a lot of punishment involved and, but, you know, I'm willing to take it on the chin every day if young girls can someday be part of the church and answer their call. Mm-hmm. And I also feel that, you know, the Roman Catholic Church is in a deep, deep crisis. You know, whatever good the church does, which I do think the church actually does do quite a profound amount of good. Um, we're not going to find our way out without including women's voices at the table. Full Mm -hmm. stop. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So I I just, it's a matter of time and I feel that I'm going to see it in my lifetime. I think you're right. Especially if I have anything to say about it. Mm -hmm. And you bring up to, you know, when you're talking about hearing other women, like as you know, like, because even within Protestant denominations, this is still a thing. Like, um, so like when I went to college to study ministry, I came from a church that was not egalitarian. So they were like, no. And I was like, too bad. And exactly what you said, like hearing it from men, like part of me is like one year, what through one year out the other kind of thing, but hearing it from other women is one of the hardest things because because it's like, like how, like, how do you not see like the reflection of like, this isn't just about like me, like this is about you and your daughters and, and even yeah. just the future generation of men of knowing that women are called and empowered because um, we talked about this on a previous episode of like, like men shouldn't have to carry it all. Like that's a lot, like God made everybody in his image. Why can't we be co-laborers? Absolutely. And, um, you know, and it also in a previous episode, you know, we had, uh, my friend, pastor Hannah, and she made the good point of like, listen, even if I get to heaven and Mm -hmm. Jesus was like, Hey, you were wrong. The worst thing that's going to happen is he's going to say, Hey, you were wrong, but more people are here because of you versus all the men that are saying you can't, if they're wrong, then like, that's a really big issue to be wrong about. (laughs) And do you want to like meet up with Jesus and him be like, dude, like you are so wrong. Like, why are you like this? Why is it a sin to want to spread the love of God further and to more people? Because lots of women are women like me. 
I don't listen to men, okay? I'm way past listening to men. I don't think they have anything of value to tell me. Well, that's not always true, but in the church, heard it all. Don't need to hear from lots of men. Granted, I work at a church. Senior pastor is a man. We're homies. It's fine. But there is this profoundness that there is from women speaking out of a female experience living in a world that has so oppressed us up until this point and probably for a few more decades if at best at best so how is it that you see someone created in the image of god who just because they're female they have less value to add to the world and to things like the priesthood how does that make any sense to an all-loving god who said well, you are all made in my image yeah so that and that is another argument that the roman catholic church uh, rests on is that imago dei you know in persona christi and because jesus was a man only a man can image god which you know jesus I'm sure Jesus had his reasons for choosing 12 men and we're probably never going to know what the, that is, but we do re need to remember that Jesus was Jewish mm -hmm. and that he chose 12 probably to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. So I'm sure that was a factor, but the bottom line is to say that Jesus cannot work through women essentially goes against every, the whole of the gospel. Mm -hmm. everything that he taught. So whether he chose 12 men, it's not to, it was not to teach inequality. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't go together. And the other thing about uh, the history of theology in the Roman Catholic church, and, you know, for a lot of Christianity is, you know, those medieval theologians. So that that's the current, that's the current reason but the most prominent reason in medieval times that justified this is the defective bodies that women had, right? So if men are the center, then whatever is non-male, kind of obviously like similar to whiteness, you know, it's like mm -hmm. whatever is non-male is defective. Mm -hmm. And so that was actually the majority argument, but the church can't use that argument anymore because it's not <laughs> acceptable, right? So um, it's also really not important science. that people know that. It, they, it, it's rooted in an understanding that the female body is naturally defective. I mean, so how, how can we move on unless women from away from that understanding for real, I mean, we may not say it, but the, it's still there. It's part of complementarity. And so if men are the center and men embody these certain traits and women embody everything that's left over, men can embody some of that, but women can't embody what men embody. So it's a very strict understanding of the relationship between spirituality and physical form. Mm -hmm. And I think we even, I mean, you, like you said, this is so rooted in like patriarchy that even today in families that like, like my parents are very egalitarian. They always have been even before I knew what that was. Um, but you know, like when thinking about like babies being born, like when my nephew was born, there was a lot of excitement because it was like, oh, like you know, he's from my brother. So he gets to carry on the family name yeah. and like things like that happen for so many people. Like so many people feel pressured of my cousin. She's having her third 
she's finally having a boy. She honestly was like, I kind of want another girl. I like having girls. And so many people that are like, dang, are you just so stoked? Because now you get your boy. Like, did you intentionally try for this? And she was like, for her, because she's experienced loss. She's like, I just want to go home with a baby. Like, Mm -hmm. how does, how do you not see that? Like, that's the goal. Like, it doesn't matter what their sex, gender, whatever is like, and exactly what you said, like our society is just so ingrained of like, well, you have to have at least a boy. Like if you don't have a boy, like that sucks versus, I mean, I know it happens for some families, but I think it's a lot more rare that if you have a family of just boys that they're like, dang, do you wish you had a girl? When if you have a family of just girls, they're like, always dang do you wish you had a boy like (laughs) or the serious like amount of disrespect that i have felt because my partner decided to take my last name and me carrying on the family name doesn't count because i'm a woman and i mean i've had people my mom straight up is like that is very disrespectful to my partner and it's not the way the lord intended it I was like, I'm pretty sure that the Lord didn't intend for us to have last names. So I think it's fine. (laughs) Yes. It's not serving your husband because you don't take his name. I got mine hyphenated. So it's best of both worlds. (laughs) Yeah. um, Yeah. Very countercultural, Josie. I didn't ask. Okay. It was, it's funny (laughs) because people, because I'm so domineering and aggressive, people (laughs) assume that I made him. But all I said is I don't, my, I don't want my last name to be Hicken. I want to be Mexican as fuck. So I'm going to keep my last name. (laughs) I would never give up my last name. Are you kidding me? So beautiful. Yes. And he was like, well, I kind of want a family name. So I guess I'll just change mine. Love it. It was a simple decision for him. Love it. I think that's wonderful. And I mean, his mother is not stoked on it, but yeah, well, that is a big, it's a bit, and you know, talking about children, I mean, from the second they are born, they're dressed in pink or blue. They're given different Mm -hmm. toys. They're told, you know, so this whole, these boxes of gender. And I think the spirit is really working now in, and showing us that, these boxes are no longer working. You know, there is a new movement where there's non-binary people and there's, you know, like a lot of that is being peeled away and we're, we're still at the very beginnings. We're talking thousands of years of this Mm -hmm. type of formation, but, but I, I do think the spirit is sort of rising up and teaching us that there, there's very limiting ways of understanding human existence. Mm-hmm. And how beautiful is it that people are finally getting to experience life exactly how they feel like they should experience it? Yeah. Why is it such a big deal to everybody else? Deep, deep, deep identity, you know, mm-hmm. being expressed like so foundational identity and that, and, you know, we need to trust people that that's part of it. You know, we don't trust people to be mm-hmm. mature thinking adults who are in relationship with God, who, you know, know themselves the best who want to express themselves. Mm-hmm. Lots but this of, is, uh, sorry. I was just going to say lots of like, you're too young to know that. Or like, how could you really know? Like, or it's just a phase. I, I really know because I live in this body daily. That's mm-hmm. how I know. Yep. Um, and yeah, just like you said, like humanity is, I think not even just humanity being expressed, but I think humanity sharing in love in new ways because of us Mm -hmm. embracing it. And, you know, a lot of times people would be like, you know, the struggle of like, 
how do I love my child through this? And I'm like, well, God loves your child through this. And like, he's a God of love. And so that's what you do. And, you know, church giving like backlash of like, well, that's not real love. And I'm like, well, how do you know that's not real love? Because that's literally God gives love freely to all of his children. And so unconditionally. Yes. So I'm going to give love freely to my own children, my siblings, my cousins, like my friends, like, cause that's what God does. So, mm-hmm. and I would even go so far to push it a little bit more and saying, God is love Mm. that that experience that is god Mm -hmm. that experience of love it's god and in all honesty and in all justice if churches like the catholic church and the white american evangelical church do not get with the program if they do not want to understand an all-knowing all-loving god and how to learn how to love unconditionally they're going to fade and they're going to be gone. I mean, they are fading. Yes. Rapidly. (laughs) Rapidly. Although I will say, you know, what's interesting about the Catholic church too, is that it's growing so rapidly in Africa. I mean, I think like within 10 years or something, five countries in Africa are going to have some of the top Catholic populations. Mm -hmm. And that's another reason why I just think it's so important for the inclusion of women, because imagine you guys, what it would be like to have African women Mm. leading the church. Mm. I mean, it's just, this is the time. This is the time for the church to, open up and really look at itself on this particular, I mean, on other teachings too, but certainly on this teaching of women. I mean, it's just like, it's just critical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, this is why I think that what you're doing and what, um, what's the, the association of Roman Catholic women priests, this is why I think that this work is so important because you refuse to be erased. You refuse to take what has always been said about women. And instead you take the example of Jesus. You take example of what is written in the Bible and you say that you are also allowed to be called to the priesthood just because some, and I'm not fond of institutions. So I'm going to say just because some fucking institution (laughs) tells you otherwise, doesn't mean that that's the law. It could be against the Roman law, but that doesn't mean it's against the law of the land of the law, the, the law of creation. Yes. Agreed. And that's just what it is. I mean, we're saying we are protesting an unjust law. So actually the Roman Catholic women priest movement as a whole rejects excommunication. I personally Mm. accept it, but they as a whole reject it because it comes out of an unjust law. Mm -hmm. And um, just so your listeners can understand. So we talked about apostolic succession. And um, so the way that this movement came about is that a bishop ordained women against the teaching of the church and then ordained bishops so that the female bishops can then continue to ordain women. So that's how, you know, we are tied to the institutional church. But I will also say this, you know, the, the Episcopalian church has now for, I think they just had their 46th anniversary of including women into the priesthood. So it happened in the seventies, 76, I think, and, uh, or 74 or 75, somewhere in there. And, um, so now like with the Roman Catholic church, this movement has been going on for 50 years almost. And we've made no progress really, (laughs) you know, it's sad to say, but it's the truth. And so we've made the theological arguments. We've made the historical arguments. We've made the scriptural arguments. It hasn't 
made a difference. The church hasn't budged. So now we are at the point of having to embody the reality to show, to be prophetic. Like this is real. We are being called and you can't deny it anymore because it's here in the flesh. It's no longer theoretical. Mm. So that's kind of, you know, that's one of the, especially for me personally, that's really part of my mission is to evangelize the bishops and I will not be dismissed. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yes. I, I, uh, so I looked it up just for our own reference of the United Methodist church started ordaining women in 1956. So, uh, wow. Way ahead of the curve, (laughs) but, but still that's 65 years, which means some of, some of our listeners have, you know, parents, grandparents, like people, in their lives, like my grandpa, my great aunt, like people, my grandma, like people, some of my dad's siblings, like people in my life are older than this. So I saw the change. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's another thing too, of, I think us, for those of us that are privileged to be in a denomination that ordains women, I think sometimes we forget, like, it's not, it's a stone throw away, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's not something that we take it for granted now when, like you said, like, women in all denominations across Christianity, across the globe have been actively pursuing and fighting for this. And like, we need to step up and help them. Even if, you know, like, I don't want to be a Catholic, but I want you to be a priest. So like, like, how can I help like my Catholic siblings of like, what can I do? Like, and mm -hmm, I'll tell you, my ordination would not be possible without the support of the ecumenical communion. It's Mm -hmm. my, uh, my, Pre-party is happening at a Unitarian church. My ordination is happening at an Episcopal cathedral. My first mass is happening in a Lutheran church. At my ordination, there are eight denominations that are going to be concelebrating, processing in, making a stand in solidarity for women in the Catholic church. I love that. So, I mean, really, you got the ecumenical communion is critical to this, and so is the secular media. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we need both the ecumenical communion and the secular media to help us be heard. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, if you ever want to come preach at a Methodist church, I'm the boss of one. So oh, yes. <laughs> we're going to make that happen. That's yes. why what you guys are doing is so important. And I'm really grateful. And it's just nice to be in a place where I'm not going to get clobbered because you mm. know what? I get clobbered a lot. Well, send them my way next and let's see how, how they like it. All right. <laughs> well, thank God for the miracle that is the internet. Change is going to yes. come. Change is going to come. Yeah. Thanks you both. Thank you to you both. It has been an amazing conversation. We'd love to have you back if you ever so desire. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. maybe post ordination. Wow. Yeah. Let's see how the drama <laughs> unfolds. Mm. Well, Father Anne, where can the people find you and follow along on your journey and support you on this very, yeah, amazing journey, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. So I have a website, fatherand.com. Encourage you to go there. I do preach every week and po- and I have a electronic uh, newsletter that goes out once a week. You can find it there. I am on Facebook. Uh, Vatican reject. (laughs) Anybody on Facebook anymore? And I am also on Instagram at Vatican reject. And please reach out, send me a message. 
Yeah, unless you're an asshole, then keep it to yourself. Yeah, yeah seriously, go somewhere <laughs> Come talk else. to me instead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, Spencer, where can the people find us? They can find us on Instagram at Speaking in Church. They can find Josie at Josie Takes the World. They can find me at Spence Rose. And if y'all would like to email us, come on the pod, email us at speakinginchurch at gmail.com. Yes. Um, what is the official stance of the Speaking in Church podcast is that women should be priests and are priests, whether the Roman Catholic Church likes it or not. <laughs> Amen. Amen. All right, friends. Well, uh, I almost forgot. I forgot what I say. What do I say? Stay woke or get woke. That's what I say. (laughs) And Jesus loves you. Bye. (laughs) This has been an Irreverent Media Podcast.